summoner of demons and all things satanic is Peter Rollins. Hello, it's great to be on the podcast. Uh, this is one of my favourite podcasts already, so I'm very privileged to uh, get to actually participate. Nice. All right, yeah. Do you That's like it when praise. people when people are like Doctor Doctor Peter Rollins, or do oh, you just prefer kind of more down to earth thing? More down to earth. Uh, I feel like an imposter with the Doctor. Doesn't really makes you sound like an evil when, genius. When people use the word doctor in Europe, it's generally a a, sim- a sign that they don't have a good doctorate. Uh, if you ever see a book that says doctor such and such, it generally is uh, a bad doctorate. Anybody who has a doctorate doesn't generally talk about it. I one time went into the the office of the physical education guy in my university, and I wanted to talk to him about something. I wanted to ask him. And uh, I was just like, hey, Mr. Fritz, and he wouldn't even look at me. Oh, he wouldn't wow. turn to look at me. And I was just like, hello, Mr. Fritz. And until the secretary <laughs> came in and she's like, it's not Mr. It's doctor. Oh, my God. I mean, we're not I saying said, oh, that. My God. I, I said yeah. Dr. Fritz. And then he turned around. Yes. How can I help you? So he's he was very attached to his, his doctorate. Oh, my God. To be goodness. honest, Dr. Fritz sounds even more like an evil genius. Name. Yeah. But the thing, we're not very, saying that um, philosophy is a better subject than PE, but maybe very obsessed, very uh, like uh, I suppose uh, over attached to his mirror image. I would say to symbolic titles. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, he needed a, like a little bit of the old castration. Yes, kind of use some of that. Yeah. <laughs> so what's but the anyway, uh, what's the topic for this week for you guys? This week is it a weekly podcast? It's like an ad hoc podcast currently. Ah. So. <laughs> yes. But anyway, so uh, the, the the topic is, or the film is, Quantum of Solace. We are talking about James Bond. And the no, theoretical Bond, James Bond. A Bond, James Bond. Bond, James Bond. <laughs> okay, well, we, we, you are the expert, seeing as you're like a big fan of James Bond. Yes, correct? that's true. I am. I do love James Bond. I always have. We wanted to do a few other pictures, but I think Peter was just like, I've just seen like a lot of the James Bond, John Wick, some of the Bruce Willis ones, mostly action movies, right? Yeah, I um, <laughs> I know it's terrible. I, I kind of like to think that I like good cinema, but I just like action movies pretty much. Give me some Steve Seagal and uh, I'm happy. <laughs> But there's some good Pretty. stuff. There's some good stuff to talk about with Quantum of Solace. Oh yeah, it's the most political Bond movie. Yes, yes, that's true. That's true. And I think you know a lot of the themes are there that are that are like uh, reminiscent of all the Bond movies. So there's plenty to plenty to dive into. Absolutely, because so it's it interesting. About... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, sorry, we're on a three-way Skype, so we're gonna like be over talking over each other a little bit, probably. But I was gonna say that it's a Bond. It's an interesting Bond because we were talking about. Daniel Craig as Bond or this iteration of Bond as compared to the other Bonds like Roger Moore, the 90s Bond, the best Bond. No, I don't think he is the best Bond, but he's the Bond of my childhood, Pierce Brosnan. And he is, you know, conventionally Bond is very much kind of a non-split subject. But Daniel Craig's version of Bond has a little bit of, you know, he's carrying a little bit of trauma in screenwriting, call it the ghost. You know, he has like a trauma in his past that we know about. Whereas the other versions of Bond, he's the non-castrated male. I don't know. He doesn't, you know, he has no kind of element to him. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a very common, you know, that's a, that's a move that's happened in cinema over recent years that 
uh, now you have to have a backstory for superheroes and heroes that uh, it's not enough to just put them on screen. They have to have some sort of like a traumatic event. So even with Batman, you see that obviously the 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 recreation of Batman mm-hmm. is very much connected to his trauma. I suppose it was always there to some extent, but now there has to be some that. animating trauma. Whereas yep. the baddies, the baddies don't need to have that. The baddies have an excess of money, an excess of pleasure, an excess of everything. Um, and we hate them for it. I know. Well, it's interesting because it's not only James Bond or film characters. It's everywhere in capitalism now. It's like, what is your private story? You know, what commodity of hurt do you have? Yes, I mean, the, the one enemy is the person who has no trauma. And that's what the mm-hmm. fantasized enemy is. The fa- the, mm-hmm. So like within James Bond, you have Spectre. Uh, in Quantum of Solace, of course, they're trying to get... Um, all of this money by controlling the water supply in Bolivia, but they already have phenomenal resources. I mean, so so already you kind of have an organization that is pretty much omnipotent. They are they are without trauma. They are without uh, suffering. They are having pure enjoyment, and it's all of the goodies that have you know James Bond. His the women that he loves are always dying. That's the big thing is not only is, is James Bond got a founding trauma with the death of his parents, uh, continually anybody he loves, including the woman he married uh, in one of the early Bonds, are all killed. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, have, I have kind of a theory about this whole new trend of, of trauma being included into the narrative of characters that are meant to be non-castrated. And it's that I think that for the audience, um, maybe the object cause of desire is the possibility of neuroses arising in the character. Because, for example, for James Bond, what you have is that he he's willing to go through physical violence in order to not go through or not not acknowledge the inner violence that of, of mm-hmm. his of his mm-hmm. life or his and yeah. uh, as long as long as he has like the imperative of his missions and like the things that he has to do, like his inner void can always be like put to the side or evaded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as, as, something that I always liked about Freud is that when he talks about repression, he doesn't say that it's just like the things that you repress, but it's actually the repression of the repression. And yeah. I think that he he goes through extreme, extreme like physical pain in mm-hmm. order to be able to afford that repression yeah. of yes. repression. Yeah. And it's and something they so really... I think that, sorry, uh, for mm-hmm. for the spectators, I think that there's a thrill in wondering when it's going to happen for Bond, when he's going to have sort of like mm-hmm. a, a neuro- neuroses, like an encounter with neuroses. Mm-hmm. And I think it happens at the end of, what's the one before this one? Casino Royale, because he falls in love. Mm-hmm. 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 And Best after guy, he yeah. falls in love. He wants to resign from the company or from the CIA mm-hmm. or whatever. Am, am I? Am I? Mi six. Mi six. Yeah, he wants to. He wants to. Um, he wants to quit. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's just like I think that that's like the object cause of desire for the yeah. audience is just like hoping that something will happen, but at the same time getting enjoyment mm-hmm. that it never actually happens to him. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. That's really true. Yeah. And that 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 really happens in an extreme in Skyfall, because in Skyfall, he mm-hmm. literally returns to his childhood home and has to uh, confront 
you know, his uh, his upbringing. And uh, that's, I suppose, out of all of the recent Bonds, that's the one that is perhaps most critically acclaimed because I think it has, a, like you're saying, that kind of we're waiting for Bonds to uh, kind of that stuff to come to the surface. Uh, and I guess uh, this is my theory for 25, which is the next Bond, because mm-hmm. which will be the last Daniel Craig Bond, is that, that that will be brought to completion in some way. And it might even be that they kill him off. I don't think they could kill him off. But uh, mm-hmm. there's probably just like the last Batman, like Batman literally faces his suffering, is able to subjectivize it, and therefore it can no longer be Batman. Like he literally can't be Batman yeah. anymore. He he goes off to be with the with the woman. Well, and I also find it yeah. and I also find it very interesting that he falls in love in Casino Royale and it sort of ruins mm-hmm. his life. Mm-hmm. And then in this next movie, Quantum of Solace, there's there is no Bond woman, right? Or at least there's no sex. He doesn't sleep with yeah, anybody. Yeah, it's the only one he doesn't sleep with. Well, with one person, he sleeps with uh, the red-headed woman. Yeah, Strawberry Fields. Okay. But, but, not, but not the main <laughs> Bond. Not, not the main, yeah, not uh, the main female Bond girl. Bond girl. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. But she so dies, almost... doesn't she? She's another one who dies after being part of Bond's love life. Yes. Strawberry yeah. Fields, yes. Mm-hmm. I just I have yeah. to just say that name like the names in Bond are hilarious because obviously you know often in narrative fiction you have names that are symbolic or evoke something and you know people like Charles Dickens are very good at you know having names that evoke the character but like the Bond names are just fucking hilarious like yeah. the guy the villain in this one is what's this Dominic Green and it's all about eco or you know eco stuff <laughs> I don't know what the hell like Strawberry Strawberry Fields is like a Beatles song I don't know if there's like a yeah. But, yeah. They're all a bit ridiculous. (laughs) Another thing that I thought that was interesting about like the Bond movies is that, for example, you can have a movie from like the 80s before this whole Mm -hmm. thing started. Like you probably know these, Peter, like Universal Soldier with Mm -hmm. um, Van Damme. And where it's just like you have this guy that is like a a soldier and and he's obviously non-castrated as well, but there is no risk in it at all. Yeah, like he he he's almost kind of deprived of his humanity. Not just that he's not castrated, but he doesn't have mm-hmm. humanity either. So he just like obeys and goes through the violence and whatever. But there's almost no risk. I think there's a correlation with that as well with some of the new superhero movies. I think that's something that Todd was talking about. It's just like it's just seeing immortality on screen. Like not there. There's no risk. There's nothing that can happen. Actually, you have this guarantee that that they're going mm-hmm. to survive and that they're going to win. Yeah. Which is like I think that's that makes the the prospect of twenty five pretty interesting because it might be actually very interesting if he dies or or something happens mm-hmm. to him. Yeah. But yeah, I think that one of the one of the scenes of of the Bond movies that I think is like the most suspenseful is the the torture scene in. Uh, what's the last one? Uh, Spectre. Spectre, yeah. Oh, yes. Because he's about to be deprived of his humanity and he might mm-hmm. become sort of like a like a soldier thing because I think that he, he goes through some machine that threatens to get to like who he is or a, a kind of lobotomy, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you, heard, have you like, heard Have you heard the great fan theory about that? No, 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 no. Oh, it's brilliant. Just very quickly, it's very funny. It's so the fan theory is because that's the very first Bond. That's kind of technically the origin story. Yeah. So the idea is that James Bond is on that torture seat, and 
and uh, Bluefelt puts that needle into his head and Bluefelt even says that this is going to disorient you. You're not going to know the face of the people you love. You're, you're going to be basically, your whole world is going to dissolve. And the idea is that every other James Bond movie is just him in that chair because he's different bonds with different women and you know it's not consistent and yeah. that actually every James Bond movie all 24 James Bond movies is him <laughs> just being tortured by Bluefelt <laughs> there's something very dark about that yeah that yeah. sounds horrendous I think there was something similar about friends I think there was somebody came up with a theory that Phoebe at the end is just like she stays alone in the cafe that's right you and told me that yeah. she's imagining that like, the whole thing is just like imagined by her and she's crazy like she's just nuts yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 But no but I think that saying, yeah. you know just like the threat of him losing his humanity actually mm -hmm. is something that keeps people coming back mm -hmm. to, yeah. to the movies I mean that's honestly absolutely and I think this is why the bodies aren't subjectivized. I mean, mm -hmm. in things like Mission Impossible, in Batman, in James Bond, the enemy is having excessive jouissance. They are having all of, even when they're robbing a bank, they're already looted. Mm -hmm. You know, even mm -hmm. when they're doing something, it's like they've already got millions or billions. Yeah. And it's yeah. because even when they're dying, they enjoy it. Exactly. There's yeah. like this. In fact, and the Joker is the perfect example. He's literally got a smile etched on his face. He literally mm -hmm. is excessive jouissance. And we hate the person who has excessive jouissance. You know, the, the fantasy of the non-castrated other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's interesting. Yeah, like it, in our, Yeah. Sorry, go no, on. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, in our, it is, it is a, a something of our contemporary scene that we have a real... Um, although you know it's just it's just the nature of of all myths and civilizations and you know making sense of the kind of absolute chaos of everything is that there is an uncustrated other out there yeah um but it's funny that there's such a you know within capitalism and I have a theory about this that's not really related to it, but like why there's a whole drive to show how you are uncustrated, you know how you are impotent in capitalism. Say it again, sorry. That's oh, so, 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 you know, we have, a, we have this fantasy that there's this non-castrated other, but yes. like, why has it become a commodity to prove to the world that you are uncastrated yourself? Oh, no, that you are castrated, I would have thought, because yeah, that's you become... Are. The... You know, that's what I said, that's what I said. Oh, yeah. You are. Oh, yes, you yes. are, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Have you got any thoughts on that? <laughs> I have an idea well, of a few thoughts, yeah. but yeah. Well, it, because it's closer to it, it's closer to to having something to risk, I think, and that's what gets people sort of like at the edge of their seat. Yes, and I think that there's something about having having the possibility of something being lost, and at the end, actually, you don't lose it. Like Bond mm -hmm. doesn't get lobotomized, mm -hmm. and like he still mm -hmm. manages to repress his repression. And I think that that's like extremely gratifying. But the closer that you get, the more pleasure yeah, that, yeah, it, yeah. that it like generates for the viewer. I think. And the, the real pleasure, I think, of, of these movies is, is seeing the non-castrated other ripped of their pleasure. I mean, that's mm -hmm. kind of like partly it's seeing Bond or whatever superhero getting the woman at the end or whatever. But a lot of it is is the pleasure of stripping this other who has everything. Because it's always mm -hmm. the it's the good guy 
who has the damaged relationships, has the dead family. I mean, Jean-Claude Van Damme movies and Steven Seagal movies generally start with their families being destroyed. <laughs> it, mm-hmm. they often, like, it's often like the child is killed or the, the wife mm-hmm. is killed. or There has to be this, this ripping away from yeah. the, by, by this all-powerful kind of megalomaniac. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating structure. But it's the same. It's the same with things like Gladiator. But you almost think, I mean, to talk non psychoanalytically about it, you kind of have to justify these days why someone would be violent. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, in a, a much more kind of like hum, human humanized world. So yeah, you can yeah. just justify like bang, bang, bang with no reason. But I, was, I really like the point that Adrian you were making about that kind of dualism between like getting that kind of lost object or that fantasy. Or and not revolve, getting it, just like repeating, not getting repeating and not loss, getting yeah. it. But the closer yeah. you are to getting it, you know, really keeps the thing going. If you were too far, you wouldn't have like a perpetual. If you didn't have that antagonism between getting it and not getting it, or becoming close to it and not getting it, you wouldn't have the perpetual revolution and the perpetual yeah. enjoyment of having twenty-five Bond films. Yeah, you know, because it's like so. You imagine, know, even though we know he's not going to get it, we're still yeah. in for the ride. You get enjoyment, but imagine what the what the Bond sequel would have been to Casino Royale if he actually would have stayed with yeah. Vesper. Like, yeah, yeah. You see him like back at home, and he's already like. Yeah, you know, it's impossible. And, and he's like, he, <laughs> he gained a little weight and everything. It's like, mm-hmm. and, and he, he like really seals it at the end because she dies and he completely like lets go of her. He's, I think, mm-hmm. I think one of the, the, the last lines is just like the bitch is dead. So it's just like, yeah. he completely like forgets her and he represses oh, yeah. her as well. And that yeah. allows for the the sequel to be like yeah. the same as the others. I think. And is it, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, is it his, on his majesty's secret service, um, which is the one where he actually does get married and it does have the happy ending. And it's an incredible scene at the very end. And I think I might be wrong about the name of the Bond. I'll have to, if we were in the Joe, Joe Rogan show, we'd be looking it up online. But it's the one where at the very, very end, his wife is literally shot in, in front of him and he is weeping over his wife's dead body. And then the closing credits come up. I mean, what an incredible and like that happens yeah mm-hmm. that happens it's literally it's the it's the bond movie with the guy only ever did one bond timothy dalton what's that timothy dalton no 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 it's earlier than that it was this guy who was a mechanic uh and he'd really? never acted really before and yeah. he was chosen for to be bond and and yeah at he the was very just like end. a handsome guy or whatever he was a handsome guy yeah he had this kind of charisma <laughs> I, I have to look this i have to look this up this is gonna annoy me yeah actually. look it up because i would love to know the yeah. right title because otherwise uh it'll be a which disaster. one did you call on his on her majesty's secret service i don't think it is all the t- uh, yeah basically it's like the third bond third or fourth bond it's an early mm-hmm. bond so it, but doesn't it make sense that maybe that's the one that people let like for remember the least oh yes it has Mm. that he was the most he was the most human bond and yeah it's the it's the movie Mm -hmm. that that sticks in people's mind the least yeah of of all of them because it doesn't have that repetition thing to it but then but then kind of on the other side and i guess it, it speaks to your point adrian about coming close to the fantasy daniel craig you could argue is kind of the most humanized bond aside from that one when he gets married and it's extremely extremely popular particularly skyfall and casino royale have been really resonated with people so you know it's kind of maybe they've got the the perfect mix right where they give us a bit of like proximity to that fantasy and then rip it away (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. 
it also so, it also um, has that that dimension of contemporary ideology which is mm-hmm. that the that the hero has to have a cut they have to yeah. have some yeah. sort of problem but yeah. as soon as you subjectivize the bad guy they're no longer mm-hmm. bad so if you bad, take something yeah. like the sopranos as soon as you subjectivize the body then they're not a body. So I, I always yeah. feel that the, the limit for a Bond movie or a John Wick movie is you cannot have the body as castrated, mm-hmm. except if you're wanting to turn them into something less bad. Like the body yeah. has to have pure... It's, it's not Bond that's, that's, und, that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's not divided. It's not Bond mm-hmm. who's the undivided subject. It's mm-hmm. the body mm-hmm. that is. Yeah. That's the weird thing. Yeah. Otherwise you get like uh, Breaking Bad where he's doing bad things and everybody is, you know, on yeah. his side. Exactly, um, yeah. So yeah. what so, do you guys... Sorry, go ahead. go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, so yeah, whenever we talk about the non-castrated author and we think about heroes being it, it's 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 actually not. It's the bodies that mm-hmm. are. And uh, that's what's really interesting is sometimes it's the, it's the fantasy of the other having something mm-hmm. that we hate. It's not that we want it; it's that we want to strip it from. But the do you other. not do you not think that this is something that was different in the past? So, for instance, you look at Hollywood stars of the the thirties, forties, fifties, and they were kind of like demigods. And yes. the more successful, more beautiful, more perfect you were, the more attractive. Whereas yes. now, you know, part of you look at someone like Keanu Reeves is like has become quote unquote the internet's boyfriend, and everyone loves him because he's so nice and so down to earth and so normal and so apparently you know, the, the typical divided subject. So, you know, it's just interesting how the villain is now the, the, the quote unquote, not perfect, not in the sense of like yes. good, but perfect is in apparently whole. And Keanu Reeves yeah. has, has this thing and it's terrible to say, but not only in the movies does he lose his mm-hmm. wife, but in real life, he lost yeah. his partner, you know, so oh, that yes. like in yeah, one yeah, sense, yeah, he's the perfect, yeah. Yeah. it's very sad, but it's, it's the perfect kind of like a, there's something about him in real life mm-hmm. and in his character that is that is very appealing, yeah. ideologically yeah, yeah. speaking. Yeah. And do you, do you have any explanation as to why these days that is so? It's so important for us to identify with you know heroes that are split subjects. Ooh. Adrian, do you have any thoughts on that? After well, just as a quick aside, oh, I think yeah. what I'm understanding is that the hero is under threat of undergoing like a psychotic breakdown or castration and sometimes i think maybe the pleasure of seeing the hero is that it flirts with castration Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. sometimes it happens but Mm -hmm. then comes repression after that Mm -hmm. but that the villain never goes through that the villain never loses anything yeah because doesn't doesn't what's the uh javier about them the Mm -hmm. the character the bad guy at the end doesn't he almost die like in a, like in extreme joy like which, in the, in which the, one and what movie in is skyfall i think skyfall. skyfall yeah yeah uh, yes. doesn't he die like in the arms yeah. of m or something like that? I, yeah. I kind of forgot he the also ending, has I a think... justification because he was like treated so terribly by that yes but he has it? he has yeah. a smile like he has a smile throughout and you're right even in mm-hmm. death he's kind of like this, it's like the Cheshire cat, even yeah. actually when he's dead. I, I don't know if he literally has a smile in his dead body, but there is that sense like the Cheshire cat yeah. that even when his being is going, mm-hmm. the smile remains. Yeah, that's There's true. that yeah. scene where he takes out all his prosthetics in his face and even that, I can just remember like the VFX, the kind of like it's all 
smile yes. orientated. You know, I was gonna I was just gonna say about like oh, why, that's true. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Why in um, I think it's a symptom of meritocracy that we want to see heroes who are castrated because meritocracy and and neoliberalism and the kind of contemporary scene is a kind of lie that you're absolutely free and you earn whatever you get. And so in the past, you know, we had much more of a system that wasn't better, but it was just different. You know, it's almost like the kind of the feudal system where it's like, you know, God made them high and mighty and ordered their estate. So mm. back in the day, you know, you knew that you were just kind of a worker with no hope for whatever. Um, but you, so you had these kind of demigods that you could never aspire to be, but there was some kind of entertainment or diversion or like kind of like a, a window into a different life. Whereas now our apparent freedom, I think it does speak to the, you know, and also because capitalism always wants to find new boundaries and places to enter into. So private life is capitalized on. But I do yeah. think that kind of split subject as a commodity or as something that is seen as a good thing. It's kind of like, oh, this person has overcome. And overcoming is a big narrative in meritocracy and the apparent uh, yes. neoliberalism so yes yeah i think that's it's why a finding yeah. fantasy of yeah, yeah you can overcome yeah. and that's an interesting point also you could say that just it's it's all that's happening and i i don't know if this is true i'm going to throw it out and let you guys critique me but um that it's just about where the pleasure is located mm -hmm. so in in movies actually we think we don't like the body but i think now the body is the uncastrated other and actually our enjoyment of the body is often where our real enjoyment is. Mm -hmm. So we both mm -hmm. enjoy true, the yeah. ungastrated other and they have all this sex, they have all this money, they have all this work. So maybe in the past we identified with the hero or whatever, but now we identify with the evil character. Yeah, but and of you, course, you see something like the Joker. Sorry. Yeah, but, but then mm -hmm. consciously we want to, at the very end, for our own morality's sake, you have the death yeah. of that person and, and you yeah. know, we take it away. But I, yeah. I, I, I see it myself when I, I was watching a Mission Impossible recently and I know that I was enjoying the body more than I was enjoying uh, yeah. the goody. What's his name? Ethan yeah. Hawke? Uh, uh, Ethan, no, um, Tom Cruise. Yeah, well, but his name is Ethan, Ethan Hawke. Oh, it is Ethan Hawke. I think what's the actor called? Isn't well, that no, maybe, the actor's no, Ethan Hawke? No, that's, his, Ethan that's his acting name. That is Ethan actors. Hunt. Ethan Hunt. Ethan Thank Hunt. You. That's Thank it. you. That's Thank another you, one Ethan with Hunt. the name means something. Like he's going and <laughs> hunting everybody. Ethan Hunt is the first reformed guy. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You've got, got to know that. You know? Like it's funny within the fundamentalists, I get yeah. every fact wrong about popular yeah. culture. So <laughs> <laughs> I just let you just know. say say your name. It will work it out. Yeah. But I, was, I think you're absolutely right about the 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 baddie and Suicide Squad's a good example. That you know we were so it was such a big movie and it's getting made again it clearly has commercial appeal and there's so many uh you know after heath ledger's iteration of the joker mm. you know we've got joaquin phoenix jared leto and it's having all of these like this there's a real mythology that's being explored around the body and then obviously suicide squad you've got the harley quinn you've got little girls dressing up as harley quinn for halloween you know yeah. it's obviously like a big yeah yeah th that's that. that's, that's almost like that's almost like the return to trying to bring the ungastrated other back onto the side of the hero so it's always like like the ungastrated other is in the villain and suicide yeah. squad i think part of his success even though the critics hated it the part of the success mm -hmm. is they understood that they could bring that jouissance mm -hmm. back onto the side of the hero by making the mm -hmm. villains the heroes it's very clever because you know, yeah do you think that that should happen though 
I mean, it's just like one of like uh, Hitchcock's famous um, quotes is like, you know, he said that the the villain makes the picture. Is there something about a, but, a bad guy always having that position that well, that's makes well, them? I, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh yeah, I was going to say you're absolutely right, but that's why in Suicide Squad they have to make another villain. You know, that's like yeah. well, I don't know who the villain a was. A villain in the last worse one. than the villain. They had the Cara yeah. Delevingne character who was like that ghost thing. Or whatever. Oh, and then the alien. So yeah, I think yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's like yeah. like as soon as you make the villains the goodies, of course you have to yeah, bring in enough. Yeah, and, and the villains. Well, this is then, it. Yeah. Look at. Sorry, I was going to say you know like when you when you are structuring a narrative and obviously like the, the 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 villain is this is like the object put here. It's like. You don't get a story without a villain. The yeah. villain is definitely the thing. You know, if there was no villain, there'd be no story. You know, there'd yeah. be no, yeah. So maybe it's, it's, it's it, oh, good. Well, I was just going to say, what do you guys think then about, I don't know if you saw it, but like in Black Panther, for example, mm-hmm. the, the, the Black Panther is non-castrated and mm-hmm. the villain is castrated. So a lot of people, and I, I think I yeah. agree, is like actually the hero is the bad guy mm-hmm. yeah, actually, I think Black like, he wants to break open yeah. the state of Wakanda yeah. or whatever yeah, yeah. and he wants yeah. to like help people outside of it yeah. so there's like a political kind of he's kind mm-hmm. of like a leftist uh, yeah. figure mm-hmm. in the movie but he's uh, but he's the castrated one well yeah. he's I the think, one that is lacking I yeah. think the Black good. Panther has a lot to do with contemporary ideology yeah but and he, and here's yeah here's the thing as well is like I think that's a very good point with Black Panther is uh, it complicates those dynamics, but it mm-hmm. almost shows that all you need is a non-castrated other, excessive jouissance, and a, and a and someone who is uh, is divided, and mm-hmm. you those can move around. It's weird. You can yeah. kind yeah, of no, like uh, you can put them in various yeah. places. Well, in <laughs> in screenwriting, you don't call the villain the villain. You call him the opponent because the opponent isn't necessarily the bad. He's just the person that gets in the way of what the hero wants yes. to achieve by the end of the movie so yes. um but you know it was interesting because like todd was talking about this in relation to 2049 and i think this actually relates a lot to this this kind of complicating of who's the villain who's the goody because you see a lot of movies now where the state is the goody and the like non-state i.e., the capitalists are the baddies so mm-hmm. you've got the corporation in 2049 versus the the replicant police and in james bond it's like the establishment secret service against the the corporation you know yeah yeah i mean so it's funny how yeah. things like flip around yeah and that's the interesting thing about bond uh you know another point is that the baddies are in a way what gk chesterton would say is they are they're committing a crime but not because they are radically outside the system they want to get into the system like they they kind of they believe in private property they just want to have it they that like so it, within Quantum of Solace. Uh, Quantum is a wing of Spectre. And Spectre uh, is basically in all sorts of industries. I mean, basically, Quantum of Solace is the most hilarious baddies. They want to be a utilities company in Bolivia. It's so boring. It's so boring. But but, they want to commit a crime so that they can enter the kind of the system. So mm-hmm. it's funny, whereas James Bond has no interest. Like, so they're pathologically interested mm-hmm. in the sense mm-hmm. of the Kantian sense of they have self-interest, mm-hmm. whereas mm-hmm. Bond 
every time every time Bond goes into a casino and he wins lots of money, what does he do? He doesn't care. He often throws well, the money away. Well, he's the old he's money. Got... <laughs> he's the old money. He's eaten old yeah. money. He's yeah. not even very high up. He just doesn't. You know, he doesn't have but anything. Got, yeah, to but he's got no pathological interest <laughs> yeah, in yeah, yeah. in in the accumulation of money, whereas Spectre yeah. is obsessed with it. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Do you think that this is this is? Do you think that there's enjoyment in that? Because I think Ready Player One is is the same. Like the corporations mm-hmm. are the bad guys, and mm-hmm. then government mm-hmm. comes in and like puts injunctions there, so that there's like some rules, like putting regulations, basically, mm-hmm. and. Uh, do you think that maybe that's some kind of enjoyment, apocalyptic enjoyment or dystopian? Because that it's almost like that'll never happen, it, or it feels like that will never happen, at least in, in well, the US. Well, I, you know, I do like think the, like the state is becoming more and more the underdog when you look at like how far Amazon etc has encroached in like lobbying and stuff. Well, maybe yeah, maybe that's I just think, a fantasy. Maybe that is a fantasy. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, but also, also, I wonder whether, and the, coming back to the point I was making, where you can almost swap around where enjoyment is, and it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. that that actually, without knowing it, so, so consciously we think we're with James Bond, but actually yeah. unconsciously, Spectre has got our real pleasure is our real desire because actually we identify more with the corporation like there's something really annoying about bond when he just doesn't care about money there's almost yeah, like god like, i know what, some people you want like all that. this money in the casino <laughs> and you just threw it away so yeah. I, I wonder whether at an unconscious level we actually are more connected with specter than we are with uh with this with the mi6 yeah you don't get monks you don't get monks you know, monks aren't the hero of our contemporary ideology. You know, you're not like maybe you could get a monk in a in a movie, but do you know what I mean? They're not. They're people who are completely disinvested from accumulation. It's just like, yeah, you know, that would be, that would you be know what I mean? It's like, yeah. 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 I suppose the Dalai Lama is famous, but you know what I mean? It's not like yes, and you have the films like happens. Equilibrium, where mm-hmm. the heroes are type monk type characters. And yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm almost just thinking out loud of going like. It's, there's a there's a question of who we consciously identify with, and then there's a question of who we yeah. unconsciously identify with. Um, mm-hmm. The difference in pleasure and desire, really. You know, you, yeah. at a at a conscious level, we we love Bond, and Bond's very mm-hmm. cool. But there's something very appealing about the all powerful Spectre. There's yeah. something um, I thought was quite interesting that you you touched on that kind of. Um, you know, looking at how you know, Mar- Marx and uh, the idea of like commodity as the mm-hmm. the like mythological element of our contemporary ideology, and that we have all these which other which was a conversation we had outside of this podcast, so we might have to uh, you know talk so I'm going, it, to, but, I'm going oh, yeah. to explain. Yes. So <laughs> you know, we're talking about we have all these. So you put it really well the other day, like contingent ish problems, and then a structural problem, and the structural problem is really you know, the commodity form, surplus yes. surplus value generated by the abuse of workers. And then you have all these other contingent things that are issues and narratives that kind of interweave. And you can almost like identify anything or put things anywhere, but there's like a core element, yes. which is which is a commodity. And almost in James Bond, you could say like, the core thing potentially is the jouissance of whatever the narrative generates, but it doesn't matter, you know, there's no like political side on which 
that falls or yeah. any like sensical uh narrative side on which that falls but it just has to fall somewhere yeah well actually the baddies in quantum of solace say uh your man green says we work with the right we work with the left we work with revolutionaries mm-hmm. we work with governments uh it's like doesn't you know yeah doesn't well that matter. is exactly how capitalism works as long as there's a buck to be made you know it doesn't yeah. matter who it makes the buck off yeah yeah i mean that yeah, that, yeah. oh go ahead adrian sorry um no, I was just going to say that, yeah, it almost doesn't matter as long as that function of of disavowed enjoyment is there. Mm-hmm. Do you think mm-hmm. that people mis, misunderstand where their enjoyment comes from? Like yeah. They think it's coming from the hero, but it's coming from some from the villain or otherwise? Absolutely. Well, that's why you can't have a good Hollywood movie without a great villain. Uh, you know, that's a, you, well, you, you quoted um, Hitchcock on Hitchcock, that, but yeah, it's mm-hmm. like if you don't have a maniacal, I mean, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I almost think you have to have a non-pathological bad guy. And this almost sounds like it contradicts what I've just said, because so basically in Bond, on the surface level, everyone's pathologically invested the baddies. They want money. They want power. Right. So they're they just want basically what everybody wants. They're willing to commit crime to get it. However, there's something going on that's even deeper. And I think Austin Powers showed it really well whenever Dr. Evil was taken out of his hibernation and he said something like, uh, I'm going to hold the world to ransom for $30 million. And his next in command says, basically, listen, we earn five times that every year with our like, legitimate I think corporations. Says, I think it's just, I think it's just like one, one million, million or something. Oh yeah, one million, yeah. yeah. And the guys go like, listen, we own Starbucks, we make 50 million every year, you know? Um, <laughs> and what, what, what I love about that is you kind of go, oh, there's something that Dr. Evil's interested in, which is beyond pathological interest in money. Yeah. He's actually committed to transgression itself. He yeah. he yeah. wants the transgression, and I think that's what makes a ba- a really good body. That's mm-hmm. why I originally suggested the movie uh, "The World Is Not Enough" for mm-hmm. for the Bond that we would look at, because I remember that body as being just interested in the destruction of the world without any interest. But mm-hmm. I was wrong because even he was uh, mm-hmm. trying to help some woman have a, yeah. a monopoly in oil, but. But there is something yeah. about Spectre that wants money and power, but beyond that, they just want to see the world burn. You know, it's do, you, do you, yeah, yeah. But that's that's what happens in uh, Dark Knight, I think, or like mm-hmm. that's the explanation that Alfred gives about the the Joker, mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. he he doesn't have a reason; he just wants to see the world burn. Mm-hmm. At at what point do you think that maybe that's like even more enjoyable because it's uh, it's a mental pure illness, waste, probably. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, a mental a mental illness, but also actually weirdly close to the truth that mm-hmm. that there is something excessive beyond it. like and it's the it's the Marquis de Sade. It's the mm-hmm. kind of this weird. Uh, well, uh, Shizek says it beautifully when he talks about fascism, because the, the fascist is the person who gives up their pleasure 
Like they literally give it up. They say we will die for our country. It's all discipline. They shave their heads. They're willing to die. Mm -hmm. But of course, the fascist, you can just see pleasure oozing from them. Like the Nazis have fetishistic clues. It's like it's like there is the pleasure of renouncing pleasure. And that's jouissance. I mean, if you want to know what jouissance is in a nutshell, it's like the pleasure that comes beyond pleasure, Mm -hmm. like utilitarian pleasure. The Reichian analysis of of the Nazis is kind of completely opposite to what potentially a Freudian or a Lacanian analysis of the Nazis would be. Yeah. You know, it's kind of the, the, the problematic renunciation of pleasure for Reich or whatever. But yeah, no, the, you just have to look at the, the garb, the Nazi garbs, and it's pure... Fetishistic sadomas- pleasure. Masoch- it's, masochism, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's sex is it's rife. And like people, dr- yeah. well, obviously there's reasons why people dress as like have Nazi fetishes or whatever that guy, the son of, there's some, um, Oswald Mosley's son, who's yeah. a, he's like a, a, like a newspaper person in the UK was caught uh, in a Nazi orgy dressed as a Nazi or something. It was, you know, he completely owned it. It's like, yeah, that's just some fetish or whatever. It was obviously seen as extremely problematic. But the point being that, yeah, it's, it's extremely sexualized. It's very you know, sexualized, whole, absolutely. Yeah. So, Renunciation. I mean, there is so there's this weird thing in the body that they're they're interested in some sort of particular capitalistic goal to increase capital and yet of course they're just getting pure pleasure from the very act of transgression which makes them even yep. more kind of scary or something and um, even more relatable um, in some respects oh yeah i was gonna say the opposite but but isn't that is in and isn't capitalism sort of like the perfect place to do that because isn't it isn't that transgressive like by nature that it's Mm -hmm. not about no amount will ever be enough yes it's just gain in itself And, and, and in a sense you could say that a true capitalist is the one who has renounced use value as in they've renounced pleasure in the sense mm-hmm. that like if you're selfish you want to increase your use value you want mm-hmm. things that are useful and you purchase mm-hmm. things that are useful but when you are fully given over to the capitalist system all you're interested in is exchange value you're mm-hmm. just interested in the abstract increase of capital without mm-hmm. necessarily any use value and yeah. so that is a weird renunciation of of, of utilitarian pleasure for yeah. some sort of excessive jouissance that comes yeah, from renunciation itself. Yeah. Yeah. If you just, you, you just had your sandwich and was satiated, like. Yeah. So, so in a sense, yeah. yeah. So in a sense, the bond body uh, is a perfect representation of something true in capitalism itself. You could say for two reasons. One, because in a sense, as I say, they do want to destroy the system. They just want to be on top of the system. So that's in one way they want to kind of enter capitalism at the top. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then secondly, because there is no limit to mm-hmm. what they want, they are mm-hmm. excessively interested in the perpetual movement, but they get without pleasure object, from, yeah. without object. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, think this is kind of like a slightly distant point to make but just all this talk about pleasure villains and the kind of dualistic nature of how we generate desire and how we get ourselves going you know obviously you can see this a lot in a lot of political and cultural antagonisms you see you know you can't have one side without the other and the absolute pleasure that's generated in 
a perceived opposition or a real opposition, you know, mm. and there's a whole kind of pleasure generated figure of eight that's happening there that people want to be part of rather than, you know, there's something really to it that generates a kind of jouissance. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. Do you, I, I've, I've been wanting to ask you, like, what do you think about Bataille? Because he, he has some stuff on transgression and access and all of that. Have you have you gotten into his work at all? Uh, yeah, you know, I did a long time ago. I read the story of the eye and I read his The Accursed Share. And uh, there is this... The story of the eye is pretty graphic. Yes, it's very intense. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's something about just, you know, I'm kind of saying this for myself to remind myself, but he's all about this need to the religious sacrifice the religious festival is almost like this excessive destructive activity that stands against economics isn't that right is that correct that he's he's basically that we as human beings need these uh extravagant destructive activities maybe saturday night's a good example where there's no utilitarian value to it at all there is kind yeah. of like, like, and that's the original religious sacrifice. You actually destroy the best sheep that you have, the best cow that you have. It's like it's a, it's a pure act of, of uh, excessive enjoyment without return. Yeah, um, yeah, so it's the residue of uh, of economic life. Yes, I mean, or, well, yeah, he, maybe he he makes that sort of parallel between just like regular economics and like libidinal economy, which yeah. always has like this excess. Yeah. So what we, but so I'm just going touch going back to your point about the the capitalist who is isn't interested in the utilitarian nature of things. But can you say that the most capitalistic person is the person who utili- turns everything into utilitarian value, like everything they do? So it's not necessarily just about like capitalism isn't just about money. It's about capitalizing. You can cap. You know, there's like there's cultural capital. There's like. You know, the cab- it's not just, it can be like a psychic thing. It's not just about the generation of money, wealth, etc. Yeah. You know, there's a capitalist st- structure at play in people who obsessively exercise or... Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. One, one of the, for me, I kind of go back to some of Marx's kind of like very pithy sayings. And one is that you have, you can have systems that are... Uh, CMC systems, so commodity, money, commodity, which is I create a commodity, I go into the market, I get money for it to buy another commodity that's useful to me. Uh, And then you enter into a model which can be described as MCM, which is I have money, I buy commodities, a factory, workers, etc., so that I can create commodities to make more money. So now money is not simply the the kind of like the thing that makes exchange helpful it becomes a property in itself and i think once you enter into an mcm model you're weirdly acting not in your self-interest you're weirdly acting i think uh in, and this is with the zombie you know she's like talks about the zombie mm-hmm. but you're acting in this weirdly obsessive way that doesn't necessarily have to be selfish. It can be selfish, but mm-hmm. weirdly, you can have a capitalist who drives a 15-year-old car, lives in a shack, yeah, absolutely, and is yeah. making money. Like There's yeah. no necessary connection to selfishness uh, yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and also that it's experienced as a duty. Yes. That almost yeah. as a sacrifice yeah, yeah. of, of yeah. self. It's like, you know, it comes yeah, my that's the, pursuit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My eternal pursuit comes before me. And I think that's the, that's the word sacrifice is the word. Yes. You know, that's capitalism what, uh, is, is yeah, sacrifice. Yeah. yeah. So it's so, interesting, actually, though, like, like relating that to sacrifice in terms of Bataille's point. How does that, yeah. you know, because he's talking about like the sacrifice being anti-capitalistic almost. Yes, whereas, like, whereas but actually, capitalism, capitalism is all about capitalism. sacrifice. But, sacrifice. Yeah. yeah, Todd McGowan, uh, he did a great talk in Belfast about this and you guys were there, but um, where yeah, he says there's there's willing sacrifice, there's unwilling mm-hmm. sacrifice, yeah. and then there's sacrifice you don't know about. And yeah. weirdly for us in capitalism, we can sometimes think that we're acting in our own self-interest. Like the capitalist is the most kind of honest person because they go, oh, mm-hmm. I'm acting in my own self-interest. Other people pretend they aren't. They pretend they're doing charity mm-hmm. work for other reasons. But listen, I'm self-interested and I'm honest about it. And then Todd's point, which I think is a really interesting point, of course, the psychoanalytic point is, no, if you were self-interested, once you'd made 10 million or 20 million or whatever, you'd stop and enjoy it. Quits, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're yeah. actually, you're weirdly yeah. destroying yourself. The cunning of yeah. capitalism is, is it, yeah. it yeah. destroys you without you even knowing it. <laughs> I know this is the funny thing. And I think, you know, part of the idea of, you know, we're talking about why we identify so much with the traumatized hero, whatever, and like the, the personal story is becoming so, to the surface in capitalism it's just interesting that like people don't realize when they are talking about you know all their aspects of personal life as part of their work or part of their i don't know you know they talk about i've had to go through this i've had to go through that that they're just willing unknowingly commodifying their private life and it's nothing to do with money apparently on a first level but it basically, you know, capitalism can encroach in so many different ways and you can totally unknowingly think that you're doing something rebellious or countercultural, but yes. completely buying into or perpetuating the system even more. Yeah. 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 It's it's amazing. Really- it's amazing how capitalism commodifies it. And at the moment we are now commodifying our private space. We're mm-hmm. even commodifying our traumas. I mean it's a mm-hmm. it's a, we we can commodify like it's incredible our inner world yeah yeah no it's, I, I have to say this is going to be maybe a gross out one but okay so you have social media which is obviously commodifying the private life and feeling compelled even when it's nothing to do with your work have i posted enough or you know how many likes did i get i mean what the fuck you might be like a librarian and that's still this still feels important in the kind of capitalist system that we're in today there's a lot of like so then you have the private trauma etc etc but now i have noticed there's a lot of like gross out stuff that's being commodified mm. it's like how brave you are to like expose even like physically your like your boobs on whatever you know like free the nipple or i'm sorry oh, yeah. but there's like a period thing that like yes, people yes. post that and that's all oh, you yeah, know, yeah. it's like it's like becoming closer and closer and closer and closer to the body i did i it's interesting to see like where it'll go next you know yeah but yeah there was a there was a picture that i saw the other day of um a guy that had taped a pad, a used pad to his face, to his nose. Oh wow! <laughs> and then oh he was saying, and it's the caption was something like that. This guy was doing it in order to show his girlfriend or something that 
that he that he was a feminist or something that he was on the side of yeah. like yeah not but the then, women not having any shame because they have appeared or whatever but it's just like it's very clear that this guy was just like hiding behind feminism in order to satisfy his fetish yes but, yeah, <laughs> the, thing, the thing is though if it was just for his girlfriend then he'd do it just for his girlfriend you wouldn't find out it wouldn't be he wouldn't have posted yes. it online unless somebody else yeah. took a photo of it and posted it without him knowing but like that speaks to a commodification yes. of that yeah. act so it's, yeah, it's commodifying your there's fetish, a, there's an interesting which is point even more there, private. There's the commodification of fetish and the normalization, mm. i.e. you can actually hide one's fetish under um, uh, kind of some sort of normality. So, yeah, mm -hmm. whereas rather than go, that, oh, go ahead. Uh, well, do you, do you think that maybe it makes it easier for people? I, I don't think, I'm not sure about this, but do you think it makes it easier for people to to enjoy to to sexually something when it's commodified because it's easier to disavow it like there's it's it's mediated i think yes yeah, so you you're getting enjoyment it, yeah because it doesn't it require a bit more engagement or a bit more courage for something not to be commodified and for you to enjoy it either way yeah I, the I difficulty know. is funnily enough the difficult when it comes to our unconscious pleasure by definition that is generally difficult for us to share so actually, I'm wondering whether actually we mm. are commodifying fetishism because actually I think when 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 something touches on your deep sexuality, you you inherently find that very difficult to you find it you like kind of a rape if you're not you're if it's not ashamed about it. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I the thing is, it's like I wonder if it's like a certain structure of person might get it. You know, might find that arousing or something. But you know maybe it's this fetish it's like capitalism has has maybe chem a commodified fetish culture by extracting it from sex and potentially yes. no but, the, but then the, the enjoyment's like, yeah. elsewhere so like for some yeah. people their enjoyment is shock shocking people yeah yeah, yeah. Absolutely. so the, enjoy exactly yeah, yeah, the yeah. enjoyment isn't in say putting a used tampon on your face the enjoyment is <laughs> knowing that that's going to shock people and kind of and, and enjoying being the one who's shocking but you can't admit that that's, to yourself because that's, yeah, that's, like, that's the thing you can't admit yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's like masochism it's not so so you can you can commodify shame yeah as long as you're a masochist is that what you're saying like well, well as long well, as you're actually, not consciously well, you enjoy, aware of it like, maybe that that could uh -huh. be the case that could be the case but the point that i'm making and then i'd like to explore that because i think mm -hmm. you could be saying something really true mm -hmm. there but but what, what i was thinking was more that a person can, it, it, generally speaking, when we're confronted with the where the true locus of our enjoyment mm -hmm. is, yep. we freak yep. out. So when someone does something very extreme, mm -hmm. it's it, the enjoyment is actually hidden still. But what is yep. hidden then is the real enjoyment is is uh, is in the shock value itself. But again, that has to be disavowed. Yeah. But this is the, this is the thing is often like when you actually and you see it in politics, often people don't want to admit what the real problem is. And there's like an absolute everybody shut up, don't say it, don't say it when it actually touches on the real thing. Yes. And you can dance around it with all sorts of other things. But as soon as you touch on the real thing. But, you know, this is an interesting thing you're talking about, because I think Connor, Connor Habib has talked about this, where he has said, I don't want to misquote him, that, you know, he thinks that the the sex worker is the only, quote-unquote, worker that's outside capitalism. And I do and don't agree with that. But the point maybe where he could be correct is that when it comes to sex or actual fantasy, 
yeah can that be capitalized on but then obviously yes. that's different because when you're turning turning it into work i i obviously i don't i can't speak to that world at all but um i heard him talk to a marxist about it and i think i think they had a disagreement but like there's a different you know when it comes to fantasy Yes, because even like, the masochist, yeah. the masochist doesn't want to be exposed. The masochist, mm -hmm. if they, if if someone, I mean, I, I think of the Sartrean kind of idea that whatever you're doing behind closed doors, if you imagine someone's looking through the keyhole at you, it immediately takes you out of the pleasure of it, and it kind of makes you feel icky. It's the opposite. Unless you're into like voyeurism or whatever. <laughs> but but even then, I think it has to be within your fantasy frame. Yeah. Like uh, yeah. that that as soon as the voyeur is put in court uh, in front of like a neutral judge, they can feel violated. So, yeah. But yeah, anyway, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. But then it's like, well, you know, the potentially the person who, I don't know if that, does that apply to every structure as in like the psychotic, the neurotic and the pervert? pervert? Yeah, or I mean, I, I, I are there some people who do, you know? Yeah. Oh, sorry, Adrian, do you want to say something about that or? Something. No, I was just going to ask, like, what do you, so then what do you guys think about, does, does commodifying all of these experiences or these objects, um, is that, does that explain, like, the success of capitalism because it mediates between you and the horrific sort of, like, directness of uh, confronting, like, your sexual fetish or your pleasure or whatever. So if you use commodification as a, in between thing maybe it helps to sort of like water it down or whatever it makes it a little bit more well easy to to confront i guess there is like it definitely like sex is definitely prevalent in a way that it wasn't and it kind of like watered down as in like you see things that are sexual but not things that necessarily turned you on in a as a person and obviously there's like a commodification of that whole thing with things like tinder and you're putting it but yeah. i don't know if it when it comes to actual sex sex yeah and, and I, have, I mean i'm not i'm not saying that i i'm not yeah. saying that I, i'm i'm not defending like the commodification i think mm -hmm. yes, there's yeah. something about the transgression that is actually should be enjoyed and that maybe mm -hmm. there's an injunction against it when it comes to capitalism yeah. and it yeah. tries to like yeah. it tries to okay. cover over yeah, yeah, everything yeah. but uh yeah i don't know it just yeah it seems that's interesting, interesting. To me. maybe that's I, yeah. why Maybe that's why millennials like don't have sex is because everything is commodified and oh, they've absolutely. lost the taste for yeah. like transgression. I think I mean yeah, yeah that yeah. that's that's more where I'm going is that I think there's something inherently uh, traumatizing about encountering our own uh, locus of pleasure and the weirdly and and actually where a lot of pleasure is 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 precisely in the transgression in doing mm -hmm. something that is a little bit shameful guilt ridden all of that and so weirdly in a society where everything is more and more permissible you will get extremes of puritanical culture you'll get extremes of people de the desexualization of sex itself um mm -hmm. and uh and there's something about our pleasure that i think you cannot confront without trauma mm -hmm. so what, where do you think where do you think then like sexual fantasy is going so millennials are having less sex and then obviously when it's mm. in the public realm it's not really sexualized sex so where is that fantasy going i guess it's just like porn on the internet i don't know it might be in some kind of closeness because the, yeah. the sort of like the the openness of sexuality and how exposed uh, bodies are now is just like mm -hmm. 
it can become a little bit oppressive or mm -hmm. just overwhelming to the point that it loses its sexuality. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I think that maybe there needs to be a recourse back into sexuality as as lacking or something mm -hmm. that is something that is covering over yeah. a lack. Yeah. And, yeah. and being able to admit that in the traumatic core of sexuality in that way. I mean, But the, yeah, the no, most I fascinating sexual act for me or sexual position <clears throat> is courtly love. I think mm -hmm. courtly love is fascinating because courtly love ultimately covers over the lack by mm -hmm. a lack. It ultimately, so courtly love is you perpetually put off sex. You perpetually uh, postpone the act. It, you make it impossible. You put up so many obstacles precisely so as to deny the lack that is within sex itself. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I think courtly love is something that we in the West definitely revolve around to some extent and is part of our psychic structure it's the lack that covers over the lack <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah good. yeah no, i know i do think it's interesting i do think that um you know the the bubbling up of sex into the public realm things being so visible i personally read me too as me too is a response to feeling violated and i think it's not a coincidence that me too is of 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, not 1960. Like, me too didn't happen then. I feel, I think people feel more violated now than they did mm. then. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, things were just, it was all arranged in a different way. But I think there's something, yeah, yeah traumatic about it. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. All right, yeah. Well, yeah. should we end it there? I think that's a good note. Yeah, yeah. I, th I, feel, I feel like we had this, I really loved this because I feel like we were just thinking together, kind of like, thinking through things about how jouissance works within within movies and sex, desire, pleasure. So yeah, it's really enjoyable. I don't know if we came to yeah. many conclusions, but hopefully people will enjoy the, <laughs> the wandering conversation. Yeah, no, this is the enjoyment for perpetually thinking you're going to get like a point, but you never yes. get it. <laughs> this is, this yeah. is a more courtois. This is courtly love. Yeah. It's the perpetual exactly. postponement of a point Meandering. that makes you fantasize that there is the a point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, exa that's, that's going to be our like our, our like, uh, tagline. You know, yes, I like perpetually that. revolving like that. around a point. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, All right. Thank you. Thanks nice. for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Fantastic. Bye bye. bye, -bye. All right. Bye.